Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Hey, Happy New Year, you guys. Man, by far, this is my favorite weekend to preach because I'm a goal-setting, resetting, evaluating machine, and I simply love it. My name is Joe, and I get to be the Heartland Campus Pastor. And one of the false realities that, that we often face is when we don't consider our current realities when planning our goals. Like, like here's what Jim Stockdale, Admiral Jim Stockdale says. He was a, a high-ranking United States military officer uh, who was in a prison of war camp during the Vietnam War. He was tortured about 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment. And, and here's what he said. Is, is that people, he said people didn't uh, not make it out of the, the, the prison camp because of the brutality in which they were treated, but because they would make goals. Like we get to get out this Thanksgiving or, or this Christmas when the holidays came and, and went and they weren't out, they would lose hope. And ultimately what would crush them was that very loss of hope. What Jim Stockdale is teaching you and I is that uh, we can't make goals that aren't in consideration of our current realities. Let me put it to you this way. I can't eat my favorite food, In-N-Out Burgers, uh, every single day. Matter of fact, just so you know, if I land somewhere where In-N-Out Burgers is available to me, like we're going there immediately, like animal fries. I mean, I'm all about it. But if I continue to eat like this, and in six months, I want to look like my boy right here, Richard Simmons, that's not really going to be possible. I mean, think about it. All that burger, all that grease, all that, all that food I'm taking into my body, there's no way that I can eat that and have my boy's hair. I mean, look at that hair. I mean, that is an incredible amount of hair. And um, yeah, I can't eat burgers and have that hair. There you go. So, so for our time today, what I want to do is title our teaching. My teaching to you today is that nothing is wasted. Matter of fact, if you would just simply take that phrase, if you're a journaling type person or pull out your phone, if you will, uh, if you're driving, don't do any of that. Uh, but if you would literally remember the phrase, nothing is wasted. Maybe you need to even say to yourself right now in your head, nothing is wasted. I don't know what type of year you've had. Maybe you had a challenging one or an invigorating one. Maybe you had a season of valley experiences where you're just trying to survive. Or maybe you've had a season of mountaintop experiences and you're just thriving. What I know is with God, nothing's wasted. So grab your Bible or Bible apps and turn to the book of Ruth. By far, the book of Ruth is my favorite book of the Bible. It partially because it reminds me of my mom. Ruth and my mom have very similar journey and personality, so it reminds me of her in a lot of ways. I also love it because I believe it is very practical for you and I on how you and I could live our lives. There's also no shame of using a physical Bible ever to like go to a table of context and find the book of Ruth, but it's in the Old Testament. And buckle in today because we're going to go through the entire four chapters of the book of Ruth for our time. As you make your way there, I want to start in the book of Genesis. And I want to walk through Genesis all the way to the storyline of, of, of Ruth. In the book of Genesis, we have creation that was made. 
God made creation. He made everything. And he said, it is good. Man and woman, he made them. Matter of fact, it was so good. I mean, I mean, just think about this. And this will apply in a second here. So I'm not going on a tangent. But man and woman were literally naked before each other and felt no shame. Just let that resonate with you for one second. They were naked and didn't feel any like guilt. They didn't feel anything awkward about seeing each other. But soon after that moment, sin enters the picture and man gets corrupted by sin. The same sin that entangles you and I. The same sin that is ingrained in us from birth. And here's the problem with sin. It always requires a payment. Sin requires some kind of payment to be made. And when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God had to somehow pay for their uh, sin. And here's how we catch up in the story. In Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says. It says, Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. You see, right after they sinned, the very first thing that happened, the instant thing that happened, is Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked and were ashamed. And because of that naked and shame that came to the scene in that, in that very moment, God had to somehow protect them, protect their, their selves. So what he had to do was kill an animal. And the very first time we have blood that spilled uh, right there and God used the animal skin to cover Adam and Eve. Because with God, nothing is wasted. Let's jump a bunch of years ahead to a guy named Abraham. Abraham is probably very common to a lot of us because he's a bit thick-headed like maybe you and I. Matter of fact, God tested him 10 times and it took him until the 10th time to get it right. And, how, and this 10th time, what God asked him to do was a, a, a symbolization for you and I, but, but quite honestly, Abraham didn't know it at the time. What, what God asked him to do is take his son Isaac, uh, the heir of, of, of his lineage, and walk him onto a hill. Matter of fact, if you're a Bible nerd and, and you, you want to know this type of stuff, the hill that he walks on is either the same hill that Jesus carries his cross on a bunch of years later, or it's near that very spot. So Abraham, Abraham and Isaac walk up the hill to get to a spot, and uh, Abraham lays Isaac down on what is going to be a sacrificial altar. And what he's literally going to do is sacrifice his son, uh, before God right there to symbolize how sin locks us down, but yet God offers a, a plan there. And, and this is where we, where we catch up with how God intervenes in this sacrifice. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught up by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You, you see, church, with God, nothing's wasted. Joseph was a man in the Bible that knew highs and lows. He was betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused in prison, given the keys to a kingdom eventually. And his words to his adversary, the very people that harmed him, was this. Here's what his words were. Again, in the book of Genesis, the very last chapter, verse 19, it says, But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God 
that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this possession so I could save the lives of many people. Because with God, Joseph knew nothing is wasted. There's Moses, Moses and his royal upbringing after a near-death encounter. Joshua, who tasted the promised land, but having to wait until an entire generation died off to experience the land promised. In all these stories, you know what is true, church? Nothing is wasted. Would you pray with me as we jump into our text for today's teaching? Heavenly Father, would you use my words today, Father? Would you use my words to to help people take next steps with you? Would you speak through them? Would you allow the meditations of my my, my heart, the thoughts of my mind, and, and words of my lips to be found pleasing to you, Father? May we be people that hear your word, hear your message, and because of that, live in a way that brings honor and glory to you and you alone. You are worthy. Thank you for your son who died for each one of us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're now to the, to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. It starts off like this. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land, So a man from Bethlehem in Judea left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Emiliach and his wife Naomi, their two sons, Melon and Kilian. They were Ephrodites from Bethlehem in the land of Judea. And when they reached Moab, they they settled there. My boy E, I'm going to call him E for our time because I'm just going to keep butchering his name. So let's just call him E for our time together. My boy E did what all of us would do. He cast a new hope. Matter of fact, it's like, it's like when you like start college and you have a hope of a degree or you, you, you just now got married this year and you're newlyweds and you have a hope of a future together. He's casting a new hope. He starts with the original plan, hope. He's telling his family, hey, if we go over here, we're going to find food more easily. You know, the excitement of the journey is present. The excitement of what is to come, the potential opportunities to be had, the relationships to be formed, the healing to take place. I mean, if you allow yourself right now, can you taste hope? Can you taste a hope that maybe it's been a while since you've tasted it? Let's continue with the story today. Then E died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Ophram and the other named Ruth. So all of a sudden, Naomi finds herself in a place that is all too familiar to too many of us. Maybe you find yourself near the same spot you were last year. I mean, maybe, maybe you didn't have a great 2022. Let's face it. Many people were still dealing with stressor, stressors from COVID. But, but, you, but you looked on the horizon and, and 2023, you were like, oh, there's good things coming. But yet, as 2023 is closing, as, as the last day of, of 2023 is approaching, you're literally saying to yourself, I'm in the same spot I was last year. You feel like your, your, your valley, your hope is just interrupted. You feel like you're just in this spot. And maybe what you're saying is, man, this valley has gone on way too long. 
it feels like a new way of life. Some people call it a new normal. Let's keep reading in, in Naomi's story. But about 10 years later, both Melon and Killian died. Uh, this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Hope isn't just interrupted. I mean, it's lost. Or, or better said, it's destroyed. The rest of, of Ruth's chapter one is, 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 is Naomi recognizing her bleak future. You see, she starts to examine what's in front of her and she starts to literally think to herself, what do I have left? She's older in age and she knows that women in her culture in this time in history wouldn't have many options available to them. But she hears that there's food available. There's food available where she came from and she thought maybe if I can just make my way back there, maybe if I can get back there, I, I can live as a beggar. I can just spend the rest of my life then and maybe at least they'll bury me with my family. And because of her prospects, she tells her daughter, she says, hey, listen, you guys are still young. You can still maybe get remarried, go back to your father's house, live there and see if a new guy shows up to marry you. One of the daughters takes her up on that and, and she heads back. R Ruth says, hey, no, I'm not going back. Your journey is my journey. Where you go, I go. And that's what ends up happening. So Ruth and Naomi make their way back to the people of Israel. And maybe for you today, Christmas and the holidays may not be easy to process. For you, maybe even the idea of coming to a church service is complex. Maybe you're just happy that you're like, man, I'm glad that the Christmas lights are coming down a little bit. Because for you, joy's been missing for a very long time. Maybe for you, the pain is just so real. If you're here today and this message is resonating with you, what I want you to know, what I want you to hear from me is that your church sees you, your church feels with you, we care for you. And what I want you to know more than anything is that the God of the universe loves you deeply. Matter of fact, he says he's, he counts your tears. He's with you in this. And I want you to know that this is a good place for you. I don't want to move quickly past that, but I want you to know that there's hope in this message for you today. Maybe you find yourself starting out today uh, and, and uh, this year has been like a starting year for you. You're starting a new part of your life. Can I tell you there's hope in this message for you? Maybe for you, the best year, you've had the best year you've ever had. You're like on that mountaintop experience. There's hope in today's message for you. Because with God, church, there's nothing wasted. As we continue in, in Naomi's story, we, uh, we, we, we find ourselves uh, where, where they've made it back to the area where, where, where they want to live. And, and, and now they've got to find a way to feed themselves, which is the very next step. And because of the Torah, which is the original scriptures the people of God held to, this, this is the people of Israel. They, when they harvest a field, they will leave the edges of the field leaving the edges of the field so that people could go who were homeless or, or, or poor and they could take grain from the edge of the field. And, 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 and by doing that, it could provide for themselves. And, and because 
obviously, uh, of Naomi's background, she would know that. She would know that to be a, a true thing. So they went out to the field and started harvesting. So Ruth, the, the daughter-in-law, makes her way to a field. She finds herself at a very unique field. She didn't notice at the time, but the field that she went to is owned by a guy named Boaz. Why that matters is, what Naomi doesn't know is, Boaz is actually a family relative, but she doesn't know that at the time. What she does is she goes out in the field and starts to work really hard. And then Boaz shows up to his foreman and he looks around, looking how things are progressing for the day. And he looks out onto the field and he sees Ruth out there working. And, and because of what she's doing, he knows that she's homeless or poor. So he asks his foreman, he says, hey, who, who's that lady out there? And the foreman fills him in on all that's happened. And Boaz decides to be extra generous to Ruth. I mean, he just loves how she's been so loyal to this family member uh, 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 of actually him. It's his family member. And he says, hey, let's do whatever we can do. Well, of course, I mean, that makes Ruth come back to Boaz and thank him. And then we catch up to the story on this conversation that Naomi gets to ha- or Ruth and Naomi get to have together. Where did you gather all the grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her, uh, her mother-in-law that, about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today, his name is Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. Then she says, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Church, there's a couple of things that I don't want you to miss here. The, the one thing I, don't, I, I for sure don't want you to miss is sometimes when you and I feel like hope is lost, God is at work. You and I might feel like it's all gone. We don't know what to do, but God is in the business of redeeming. Let me explain to you what a family redeemer is. You see, in this time in history, uh, the people of Israel owned specific pieces of land. Matter of fact, every family had a, a plot of land. And that particular plot of land was theirs for their entire legacy, their entire family tree. Even if they sold it, in seven years from the time they sold it, they would get it back. That's how it worked. But the land could only be transferred to men. So in Naomi's and Ruth's case, there's no men involved. So what they would need is a family redeemer to marry one of them and have an offspring in order to then be able to reclaim that land. And that is why Boaz comes into the situation. And that is when uh, hope starts to be restored. Matter of fact, here's what um, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts about hope. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that we will raise both the, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. If God can raise a man from the dead, what can he do with your hope? Or, 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 or let's put it this way. Where should our hope really be in? Or better put, who should our hope really be in? See, when Naomi starts to share with, with, with Ruth is, is a potential here in her offering herself or at least letting Boaz know that she's available for marriage. 
And that's actually where we come back to the story here in the book of Ruth as we get near to closing out this chapter. She, she finds uh, Boaz and, and, and she, she makes herself available. In the passage, if you read it, you'll see how she makes herself available. But we'll catch up to verse 10. It says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained, exclaimed. You're showing even more loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, uh, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman, but why it is true that I am one of your family's redeemers, there is another man who's more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight. And in the morning, I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. Now all of a sudden, hope Hope is realized. And Boaz the next morning does exactly what he said he was going to do. He goes to, to the town area at, at this time in history. It was at the gate of the town. And he starts to have a conversation about what is to happen uh, with Ruth. And, 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 and the, the other family member decides to say, hey, I want the land, but I don't want to get married. I don't want to bring that into my house. So Boaz says, I will marry her and redeem the land all at the same time he decides to step into that story. He decides to go ahead and redeem that, redeem uh, Ruth's story. So let, let's finish up the, the chapter here. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. The woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous. Let's hold on to that famous in your head. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor, the neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he, came, and he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of King David. For Naomi, her valley ended. She was able to experience hope again. But you know what she never experienced on this earth? What she never experienced was what you and I know together and know more about today. We know about her legacy. Let's see some of her legacy right here. Boaz, the guy that Ruth marries, was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Remember, Ruth, who uh, was out in the field. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. What Naomi never knew is that Jesus was going to be in her story. The same Jesus who, like Abraham, walks a hill. He doesn't walk this hill to sacrifice another. He walks to sacrifice himself. He allows himself to be bound down, to allow himself to be the payment for you and I, for our sins, so you and I could literally come to know him as our Lord and Savior. 
Because with God, church, nothing's wasted. What Naomi never knew is that God used her to be in a family tree of Jesus. What Naomi did was look for God in the midst of her journey. Admiral Jim Stockdale is quoted in the book, Good to Great, and he says this, I never lost faith in the end of the story, he said. When I asked him, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. He would not trade being tortured. He would not trade being in prison for eight years because he knew that he, his experience would, would, would be for his benefit. He knew that. Matter of fact, this is a paradox, Stockdale paradox that, that athletes have used, businesses have used. This is, being, it, this is widely used across our business world. And it says this, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail. In the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they might be. You might find yourself in a season of incredible mountain highs. Don't waste it. You might find yourself in a season of incredible low valleys. Don't waste it. Friends, you and I know the end of the story. Jesus wins. That's the end. That is the hope. He has defeated Satan and stands as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. That is our hope that you and I get to rely on. Your current reality is your reality. See God in it. See his redemption in it. See his hope. Allow that to inform your next season that God has for you to impact his kingdom. Because with God, nothing is wasted. So what's your step of obedience, church? What do we do with this message? What do we do with our year? Maybe for you, you need to make it a regular party routine to attend weekends. Or maybe for you, that is party routine, but let's just face it. Sometimes you don't feel good or you, you want to just not show up. You just choose not to show up. You don't make it a priority, but yet you need to think about how maybe around vacation should be around how do you get to church services. Maybe for you, you haven't been baptized and it's time for you to take that step. Or maybe you have been baptized and it's time that you baptize someone else. You start pouring into someone else and speaking to them. Maybe you're not spending time in, the, in God's word daily. Get a Bible. We have some in our lobby. If you're watching online or, or, or listening to a podcast right now, you can even reach out to us and I will gladly mail you a Bible. Get into God's word. Maybe for you, you need to start a giving journey. Maybe you've been giving. Maybe you're like, hey, Joe, I already tithe. And maybe this year what you need to do is literally say, hey, I'm going to up my tithe by 1%, by $20, by $50, and be intentional. Get in a connect group. In a couple of weeks, we'll have connect group signups and get involved in a connect group. Maybe you've been in a connect group for the last five years and it's time that you apprentice and lead a connect group. Man, if you've been around here for any season of time and you're not serving, you got to start giving back. You gotta start getting in community, start getting involved around what God is doing in the life of the church. And if you're not sharing what Jesus has done in your heart with your friends, your neighbors, the person at the gas station, what's stopping you? Listen, friends, brothers and sisters, 
A message is only a message unless you and I literally become obedient with what God is doing in our lives and allow that to change us, to allow that to speak to what God is doing in and through his church, through you.